0: we
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Mixed Witches podcast. We are what? Three weeks into July? Two weeks into the July at this time? Yeah. Yeah. The
2: 15th.
0: What?
2: Uh Summer. Summertime. Summer. Just just one week hope That the heat is just gonna go away. (laughs) I have a feeling it's gonna stay. And roast us
1: forever until September. For sure. How? <laughs> uh, what What do For you us bring time. us today?
2: Oh. <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, even though neither of us are very uh, Wiccan, I think. It's important to be talking about some figures. Because so I already talked about Marie Laveau. I think we're just going to make a thing of it. So, Gerald Gardner. Who's. Obviously, right here it says his birthday is June 13th. I remember it happening on Instagram because everybody was talking about wishing him a happy deceased birthday, father of Wicca. So, I was like. Thanks for the idea. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Instagram.
1: Thanks, Instagram.
2: So I have his whole Wikipedia bio right here. Well, not the whole thing. I've deleted some of it, but... I am going to cherry pick, basically. Because... Humans live for a long time. (laughs) So there's a lot of information here. And we ain't got time for that. (laughs) Also, I know people say he is a controversial figure. Uh, I am just going to do my best to, like... Well, not do my best. I am going to be objective and just give information and not give my two cents. Because, A, I hate when people do that, to be honest. I come to well, yeah, I come to things for information. I'm coming for information. I don't want to know how you feel about it. Also, he is a man... Who is English and Victorian? He's contra like it's sort of it, yeah implied. <laughs> like I think it's easy with our modern sensibilities to think of I th- every old person's controversial. That's what I'm saying. We live in a modern day society where anytime you do any research on anybody, trust to believe it's gonna piss you off. <laughs> right. That's just how it goes. We know the English, what they did. So it doesn't help that he's English. I don't have any, no hate to English people, but we know what you did as a country. Pillaged. So, there's going to be, I will say this much about my own opinion, doing, this is why I don't feel connected to Wicca. Part of the motivation of doing this is being mixed race means that you spend a lot of time looking at both sides, and it doesn't help that one side is a side that, especially even not even making it racial, I just as a fucking American, we are the we are the biggest modern day colonizers. So I ain't saying shit. I'm not ignorant. We know what we did. So. Doing research on an individual who invented Wicca, which is basically taking stuff from his own culture and everybody else's and making a new religion, really without those people's permission, probably. I mean, it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Spirituality is just truth. I mean, that is the thing about religions. is that they are religions. We make those. I just care about the. I was gonna say facts No facts But I I am definitely a person who believes in like everything So I don't care Although it would have been cool This just entered my brain And now I feel the need to say it It would have been really cool to learn about Wicca When I took History of Religion We didn't That would have been cool though Yeah that would have Yeah it would (laughs) have I don't know how Mrs. Lee would have handled it Fine because she handled everything else fine But like it would be cool Anyway I also think My tune for not necessarily For Wicca but my tune Is a little bit changing Because I am learning some of my Spiritual allies and some of those may be Celtic and I'm just like you know I said I wasn't Connected but that didn't mean y'all didn't choose me So (laughs) Fuck what I said (laughs) Because My allies didn't ask They probably heard me saying that And heard us saying that at the beginning And like Ms. Breege was just like Did I ask? No Did I ask your opinion? No Okay I'm Celtic What you finna do about it?
1: (laughs) Nothing (laughs) Absolutely nothing
2: You ain't finna do shit Mr. Gerald Gardner was born June 13th, 1884. And he died February 12th, 1964. That really puts into perspective that Wicca is a very modern thing. Not necessarily that I thought here nor there about it. But it's just interesting. The Victorians were wild. I just... Every time I feel like I learned anything about Victorian history, they were just witches. <laughs> was there anybody who like was there anybody who wasn't digging up mummies, doing seances? They just wanted to do all the dark shit. I'm not surprised they built a couple of religions. Gerald was also known by the craft name Sire? S-C-I-R-E. Seer sire. He's not here. He can't tell me. He was an author, an am... Yeah, an amateur anthropologist and archaeologist. He was instrumental in bringing the contemporary pagan religion of Wicca to public attention, writing some of its definitive religious texts and founding the tradition of Gardnerian Wicca Which if you are Wiccan is what you are practicing I would say specifically I don't know you But most likely that's what you're practicing Specifically Gardenian Wicca But I couldn't necessarily tell you what the other kinds are I'm still learning
0: I
1: can't remember any right now so
2: (laughs) I'm sure one of us will keep talking about it And then it'll be like oh yeah Ah, that thing. Uh Uh. So he was born into an upper middle class family in Blindels Lancashire. He spent most of his childhood abroad in Madeira in nineteen hundred. He moved to colonial Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, and in nineteen eleven to Malaya. Where he worked as a civil servant and he developed an interest in the native peoples and writing papers and a book about their magical practices. After his retirement in 1936 from doing that, he traveled to Cyprus and he penned a novel, A Goddess Arrives, before he returned back to England. He settled in the New Forest where he joined an occult group. The Rosicrucian Order Crotona Fellowship, I think. Through which he said he had encountered the New Forest Coven, into which he was initiated in 1939. Believing the coven to be a survival of the pre-Christian witch cult discussed in the works of Margaret Murray, he decided to revive the faith, Supplementing the coven's rituals with ideas borrowed from Freemasonry, ceremonial magic, and the writings of Aleister Crowley, to form the Gardner Gardner oh my God (laughs) Gardnerian tradition of Wicca. So that I know that I remember that's the wiki synopsis, basically. So I skipped over his whole childhood. He traveled a lot. He had like one lady he was close to. He didn't go to a, for, he didn't get a formal education. His family was, they did lumber. I think I remember they did lumber. Then when he was in Ceylon, he tried to, he learned how to make and, and grow and do tea, which he thought was boring, which I can't blame him. You sit on a tea plantation, what the fuck is there to do? Right. (laughs) And then he tried to own and cultivate a rubber plantation, which he was not successful at. Moving to London in 1945, he became intent on propagating this religion, attracting media attention, and writing about it in High Magic's Aid in 1949, Witchcraft Today in 1954, and the meaning of witchcraft in 1959. Founding a Wiccan group known as the Brickettwood Wood Coven, he introduced a string of high priestesses into the religion, including Doreen Valiente, Lois Bourne, Patricia Crowder, and Eleanor Bone, through which the Gardner, Gardnerian community spread throughout Britain and subsequently into Australia and the U.S. in the late 50s and early 60s. Involved for a time with Cecil Williamson, Gardner also became director of the Museum of Magic and Witchcraft on the Isle of Man, which he ran until his death. So, Gerald here is internationally recognized as the quote-unquote father of Wicca among the pagan and occult communities. If you were on Instagram like I was, you saw it. (laughs) His claims regarding the new forest coven have been widely scrutinized with Gardner being the subject of investigation for historians and biographers Aidan Kelly, Ronald Hutton, and Philip Heselton which I will get to. The whole shebang before 1945. His mother had died in 1920, but he had not returned to Britain on that occasion. However, in 1927, his father became very ill with dementia And so a gardener decided to visit him on his return to Britain. He began to investigate spiritualism and mediumship. He soon had several encounters, which he attributed to spirits of deceased family members, continuing to visit spiritualist churches and seances. He was highly critical of much of what he saw, although he encountered several mediums. He considered genuine, which I find very validating. Because whether or not somebody may or may not be controversial, it is nice to know that the quote-unquote father of Wicca was also critical of it at first, being like, I don't know. I don't know about all this. (laughs) Because I've that a lot. (laughs) I think that is, unless you were raised a certain way, I think that is the biggest hurdle sometimes it's like the believing in it and then after you get over that it's like easy it's like remember when you texted me the other day and you were like isn't it weird how we went from like thinking about whether or not spirits are real to talking to them like just in discussions it's like that it's like you get over the hump of like oh no and then it's like boom
1: then it's like boom i've got three altars (laughs)
2: I need more flowers. Just like that. So, one medium apparently made contact with a deceased cousin of Gardner's, an event which impressed him greatly. His first biographer, Jack Bracelet, that's what I'm saying, reports that this was a watershed moment in Gardner's life, and that was, and that, oh my goodness, and that a previous academic interest in spiritualism and life after death thereafter became a matter of firm personal belief for him. The very same evening, July 28th, 1927 to be specific, after Gardner had met this medium, he met the woman he was to marry, Dorothea Frances Rosedale, known as Donna, a relation of his sister-in-law, Edith. He asked her to marry him the next day, and she agreed, because his leave was coming to an end very soon, which he took to get out of um, Malaya and go back to Britain. Since that was coming to an end and he had to go back, they married quickly on August 16th at St. Jude's Church, Kensington, and then they honeymoon, and then they went to France, and then they went to Malaya. So after getting back there, he revived his old interest in anthropology and witnessing the magic practices of the locals, and he readily accepted a belief in magic. He was also a big, he had a big interest in weapons, especially like folk weapons and like village weapons and such. I remember reading when he was a kid, he he joined a couple of organizations that were about, like, weapons and hunting. So when he was looking at folk peoples and anthropology of these islands, he was also looking at their weapons. Probably trying to dig a lot of those up, to be fair. So he did a lot of excavations. In the city of Johor Or johor Whichever He did them alone and in secret As the local sultan considered archaeologists Little better than grave robbers So they did a lot of their Investigations under the table
1: You know, that's fair enough I remember Maybe not, <laughs> a little bit I remember hearing a quote somewhere, I think it might have just been in a book, but it was like, when does grave robbing become archaeology? At what point does grave robbing become archaeology? And I was like, I damn, remember, I son. think I saw that on Tumblr. I don't remember where or when or how. I just specifically remember the quote because I was like, damn, you right."
2: I mean, you write. How long does somebody have to be dead And a civilization have to be buried For it to be considered archaeology?
1: Right Personally, like, it's cool and all But at the same time, that's somebody's, like, resting place And I really don't think you should be taking them out of that spot You know? Mm-hmm. But, um It... <laughs> Like, it hit me really hard because I remember I was looking at uh, the frozen woman. I don't think that's what she's called. But she's an ind- indigenous woman who was who's completely frozen. And she was um, basically a sacrifice. And she's the most preserved human that we have from that time period, like, 3000 BCE or something crazy like that super super long ago and I remember she's just sitting on a table in a lab and I was like what the fuck I know she was just like buried in the ice but like what the fuck
2: yep it reminds me of all those discussions we used to have while watching Bones about the way Bones would talk about certain things, and it's like just because you don't believe in shit, that doesn't make it okay for you to come off so pretentious and all like, these that's
1: other not things. Chill. That's
2: not that's not our that's not our TED talk for today, but yeah, <laughs> it could be. It's, I well, could you imagine? if her soul reincarnated and that person just happened upon the body and she just like had a breakdown or something that would be traumatizing.
1: I don't want to think about
2: it. <laughs> well, I don't want to think about it either, but it kind of reminds me of people talking about like visiting ancient Egypt and stuff and like having like breakdowns and crying. Cause they remember being there. It's like that. What if her soul has reincarnated? Right. So it's not even necessarily about the body. Although it should be buried, but at the same time It's like, bro Anybody want to see that, put her away
1: Put her back like, It's so disrespectful Or like, the, the bog man she The one that so they found in, in the Irish bogs Like, let him be He was preserved down there Happily <laughs> Just leave him alone I get it, this is how we learn stuff, but could we put them back? <laughs> if, you, if, if you have to pull them up, could you put them back where they came from?
0: Right.
2: So. TED Talks. <laughs> By the early 1930s, Gardner started to think of himself more as a folklorist, archaeologist, and anthropologist, and less of a civil servant. And, excuse me, I'm learning how to read. <laughs> <laughs> he was encouraged in this by the director of the Raffles Museum, which is now the National Museum of Singapore, and by his election to Fellowship of the Royal Ethnological Institute in 1936. So, I suppose... He wasn't an anthrop- anthropologist i mean i mean i mean i don't know it's not you can't debate that give him his title <laughs> he went digging in dirt i don't do that <laughs> so so while he was en route to london in 32 he stopped off in egypt and armed with a letter of introduction, joined Sir F- Flinders F- Flinders. It couldn't be Flinders, so it's Flinders. <laughs> Petrie, who was excavating the site of Tal Al Ajul in Palestine. Arriving in London in August 1932 as well. He attended a conference on prehistory and proto-history at King's College London, attending at least two lectures which described the cult of the Mother Goddess. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar. I have about three on the altar. (laughs) He also befriended the archaeologist and practicing pagan Alexander Keeler or Kyler, whichever, known for his excavations at Averbury, Aberbury, lots of words. I'm going to miss a pronounce a lot of things. I'm sorry. Who would encourage Gardner to join in with the excavations at Hembury Hill in Devon, also attended by a lady named Eileen Fox, and Mary Leakey. So he was definitely digging his feet in, like, both feet in the pool for archaeology. Which, hey. Okay. Although I can at least entertain... It doesn't piss me off as much. It doesn't seem clinical. I like. I was just going to say in a wraparound kind of way, but it's like as someone who is kind of interested in the spiritualism of the peoples there's at least something there to me that's more like like really like what did these people believe in like who are these ancient deities we wouldn't know what we know if people didn't do this right Rather than being clinical, and as you were saying, you know, putting bodies on tables and not putting them back. And I don't respect the clinicalness of it, kind of, as we're talking about bones. It's sort of like seeing people under a magnifying glass, like, like what are you, an alien? Like, those are people. This is more like, I, I respect the, I want to know who their deities are. And there's a whole bunch of other pagans doing the same thing, probably doing this because they didn't know anything. <laughs> it's almost—it's like, um, I mean, seeking the information for yourself, rather. Now we have the luxury of books, and they didn't have them, and these ancient peoples were dead. So I guess you just got to go find it. Who is this being I'm praying to? Let me go <laughs> let me go find out. In nineteen thirty five, he attended the Second Congress for Prehistoric Research in the Far East in Manila, Philippines, acquainting himself with several experts in the field. He decided to author a book on the subject of Melee weapons. Which he wrote. Karis and other melee weapons, which he spelt Karis wrong. It's a crisp blade. He put Karis. So, it's fine. He was encouraged to do so by anthropologist friends. I was going to say anthropologist. That's (laughs) not a word. (laughs) He was encouraged to do so by his anthropologist friends. And it would subsequently be edited and published in 1936. So he heard his father had passed away in 35, bequeathing him some money. He spent a lot of time around the southern countries of Asia and areas like Palestine and areas in Eastern Europe. Anthropology Eventually he did get back to Britain And he found that the climate Made him sick When he went to a doctor The doctor recommended that he try nudism <laughs> Okay He was hesitant at first
1: As he might be
2: As I would be He first attended An indoor nudist club the Lotus League, in Finchley, North London, where he made several new friends and felt that the nudity cured his ailment. You know. I'm glad for him. You <laughs> You're not sick anymore. I mean, that's nice. When summer came, he decided to visit an outdoor nudist club. So, I, no, I don't want to know. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Through nudism Gardner made a number of notable friends Including James Laver Who became the keeper of prints and drawings At the Victorian Albert Museum And Cotty Arthur Berland Who was the curator of the Department of Ethnography At the British Museum So he started to travel Once more In September 37, he went back to London and applied for and received a doctorate of philosophy from the Meta Collegiate Extension of the National Electronic Institute, an organization based in Nevada that was widely recognized by academic institutions as offering a valid academic degree via post for a fee. I could have. Saw that coming. (laughs) A long-winded name like that, you know it ain't nothing. Kudos to us Americans. We'll literally give you a doctorate doctorate for money. It's not worth anything, but you're welcome. (laughs) Planning to return to the Palestinian excavations the following winter, he was prevented from doing so when his friend Starkey was murdered. Murdered. You know, off-topic, but on-topic, I was doing some research on the Nation of Islam, and the creator, four years after he created it, went missing. And I was like, wow, we're just going to gloss over that? Oh. He went missing? It, no, you don't go missing. Like, what? I was like, that's, oh, I guess we just not to talk about it.
1: That's just something else.
2: Mm. So, instead of going to Palestine, as you would not do when your friend got murdered, he decided to go to Cyprus, which he had been before. A believer in reincarnation, Gardner came to believe that he had lived on the island once before in a previous life subsequently buying a plot of land in Famagusta, planning to build a house on it, although this never came about. Influenced by his dreams, he wrote his first novel, A Goddess Arrives, I told you about it, over the next couple of years. I'm not going to tell you the plot. (laughs) Because I don't want to. (laughs) So... As time went by, Gardner became critical of many of the Rosicrucian order's practices. I'm assuming the, the person in charge was named Sullivan. We're not talking about that, so I couldn't tell you. But it says, Sullivan's followers claimed that he was immortal, having formerly been the famous historical figures Pythagoras gave okay, us math. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. Every time I see it, I'm just like, I just, you just gave me PTSD, sir.
1: <laughs> you just shot me straight back to high school.
2: Just go. <laughs> he also thought he was Cornelius Agrippa and Francis Bacon. I know who Cornelius Agrippa is, but I could not tell you right this second. But I know I know that name.
1: He's and I hate that. feeling very highly of himself, apparently.
2: No, seriously, he thought he was fucking Francis Bacon. Who the fuck?
1: Who the fuck is this guy?
2: Nah. Gardner fatitiously asked if he was also the Wandering Jew, much to the annoyance of Sullivan himself. The Wandering Jew is, is a, like a what's it called? I mean a myth. That's not the word I'm thinking of, but I mean, it's just, a, it's just an idea that there is a Wandering Jew. I'm not a teacher. You can Google cuz I don't want to butcher the story. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you but I would probably do that as well being my damn new Jesus too, fam. <laughs> like I would Another belief held by the group that Gardner found amusing was that a lamp hanging from one of the ceilings was the disguised Holy Grail of Arthur our The Holy Grail. Right. So, Gardner's dissatisfaction with the group grew, particularly when in 1939, one of the group's leaders sent a letter out to all members in which she stated that war would not come. The very next day, Britain declared war on Germany. Greatly unimpressing the increasingly cynical Gardner. I don't necessarily blame him. I definitely feel that way about psychics because I believe in psychics but I don't trust people so I'm definitely that person when you hear somebody say something is or isn't going to happen I'm like side eyeing. I'm like okay alright then the very next day Britain declares war so you know Gardner was like
0: meh
2: yeah mm. (laughs) I'll know about y'all it's fine So, alongside Rosicrucianism, Gardner had also been pursuing other interests. In 1939, he joined the Folklore Society. Subsequently, in 1946, he would go on to become a member of the Society's Governing Council. Although most other members of the Society were wary of him and his academic credentials, as they should have been. He involved himself in preparations for the impending war, joining the air raid precautions as a warden, where he soon rose to a position of local seniority, with his own house being assigned as the ARP post. It is nice to know that he didn't just do a whole bunch of robe wearing and magic. <laughs> robe war, wearing? As you should do. As you should have what have done. Also, I already told you he had an interest in weaponry. So, he became very fond of some of the members of the Rosicrucian order, even though he didn't like the group itself and the philosophies. In particular, he grew close to Edith Woodford Grimes, Being invited over to her home to meet her daughter, and the two helped each other with their writings, Woodford Grimes probably assisting Gardner in editing A Goddess That Rives prior to publication, because he had no formal education, and he didn't spell very well. Oh. I'm sorry, I read before I spoke, and I was shocked. (laughs) Um... According to Gardner's later account, one night in September 1939, they, being the woman and her daughter, (laughs) they took him to a large house owned by Old Dorothy Clutterbuck, a wealthy local woman, where he was made to strip naked and taken through an initiation ceremony. Halfway through the ceremony, he heard the word Wicca, being male, wicke w-i-c-c-e being female and he recognized it as an old english word for witch oh i went oh he was already acquainted with margaret murray's theory of a witch cult And that, quote, I then knew then that which I had thought burnt out hundreds of years ago still survived. End quote. Oh, yeah. You know, if he was alive now, wait till he see it. Sir. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us now. (laughs) So many. Yeah. Now we have Instagrams. All right, I'm not going to describe this ritual, thank you. Oh, he continued his interest in nudism. In 1945, he purchased a plot of land in four acres, a nudist colony near to the village of Bricketwood in Hertfordshire, that would soon be renamed Five Acres. What? What? Is Is there five acres? That would make sense.
1: It makes sense, though, why um, the garden uh, gardener tradition, gardenian, gardenerian
0: yep.
1: why that tradition of Wicca has more is um, has more like sky clad stuff in it. Makes sense because he was interested in nudity, nudity. being you get it, naked, yeah.
2: Nakedness. Oh but my god.
0: <laughs> I
2: don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be naked.
1: And they're not going to Between night. So that's nice. That's great.
2: That's <laughs> so between 1936 and 1939, Gardner befriended the Christian mystic J.S.M. Ward, proprietor of the Abbey Folk Park. Britain's oldest open-air museum. Oh, well. Wow. I didn't know we had those. One of the exhibits was a 16th century cottage that Ward had found near Ledbury. Hedfordshire? There's a comma. Ledbury, Hedfordshire. Herefordshire. Uh, listen Are you struggling? <laughs> <laughs> I just Sometimes these names I can I can't even say gardener I'm struggling Anyway, there was a 16th century cottage that had been transported to this park where he exhibited it as a witch's cottage Gardner made a deal with Ward exchanging the cottage for Gardner's piece of land Near to Famagusta in Cyprus. So the witch's cottage was dismantled and transported to Bricketwood, where it was reassembled on his land at five acres. In midsummer 1947, he held a ceremony in the cottage as a form of housewarming, which Heselton speculated was probably based upon the ceremonial magic rites featured in the Key of Solomon grimoire. So he also had an interest in esoteric Christianity. If you remember, I said the definition of esoteric in a previous episode being not a lot of people believe in (laughs) esoteric tends to be fringe stuff. If there's esoteric bits of a religion, it's bits of a religion that most people who are that thing don't probably don't even know about. I have actually feel like I've learned, most people, they don't even teach. You just have these fringe people being like, oh. And sometimes they're crazy. <laughs> and sometimes they're not. <laughs> so he also took an interest in druidry, joining the ancient druid order, and attending its annual midsummer rituals at Stonehenge. Hmm. He was a member of many a society. I appreciate his activeness. He's just, this man was just everywhere, I swear to God. He was like, I'm a, I'm a here, I'm a here, I'll be this society, i bro, teach me the shit. I got it all. Where are the people at? On May Day, 1947, Gardner's friend, Arnold Crother, introduced him to Alistair Crowley, the ceremonial magician who had founded the religion of Telema I'm gonna say Telema, but maybe Thelema. In nineteen oh four. We all know who Oscar Crowley be. i am gotta say about him. <laughs> well, I probably will someday, but not right now. But we know who that individual is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we know. Mm. Everybody tends to know. Shortly before
2: his death, Crowley elevated Gardner to the fourth degree of Ordo Templi Orientis, O-T-O, and issued a charter decree that Gardner could admit people into its minerval decree. Degree. Not decree. It's G. The charter itself was written in Gardner's handwriting and only signed by Crowley. From November 47 to March 48, Gardner's wife toured the U.S. visiting relatives in Memphis. He also went to New Orleans, where he hoped to learn about voodoo, as we all do. Why else do you go? <laughs> right? No, I'm kidding. There's lots of reasons to go, but like we all know, why we want to go. <laughs> So, during his voyage, Crowley Howe died, and as a result, Gardner considered himself the head of the OTO in Europe. He met Crowley's successor, Carl Germer, in New York. Though Gardner would soon lose interest in leading the OTO, and in 51, he was replaced by Frederick Mellinger. So he kind of went, man, uh, what else is out there? Gardner hoped to spread Wicca and described some of its practices in a fictional form as high magic's aid. Set in the 12th century, Gardner included scenes of ceremonial magic based on the Key of Solomon. It was published in July 1949. It had been edited into a publishable form by astrologer Madeline Montalban. Privately, he'd also begun work on a scrapbook known as Ye Book of Ye Art Magical, in which he wrote down a number of Wiccan rituals and spells. This would prove to be the prototype for what he later termed a Book of Shadows. I mean, damn, ain't it a scrapbook, though? That's what mine is. (laughs) Just just put stuff in there. Whatever fits. There's a leaf on the ground. Yeah, put that in there. Yeah, that looks
1: like it should go in there.
2: He also gained some of his first initiates, Barbara and Gilbert Vickers, who were initiated at some point between Autumn 49 and Autumn 50. Gardner also came into contact with Cecil Williamson, who was intent on opening his own museum devoted to witchcraft. The result would be the Folklore Center of Superstition and Witchcraft opened... Open... Yeah, opened. Opened in Castletown on the Isle of Man in 51. Gardner and his wife moved to the island where he took up the position of resident witch. I kind of want to be that. Somewhere. Move to a town and just be resident witch. <laughs> right?
1: Live in a cottage on the edge of town and only people, like, teenagers come out to... S- Dare each other to get close to your house and shit like that.
2: (laughs) Yes. Goals. So the museum. Goals, yes. (laughs) Deadass. The museum was not a financial success, and the relationship between Gardner and Williamson deteriorated. Gardner bought the museum from Williamson who returned to England to found the rival museum of witchcraft eventually settling it in Boscastle Cornwall Gardner renamed his exhibition the museum of magic and witchcraft and continued running it up until his death also he still had asthma he would have to flee to warmer climates during the winter so he could breathe So he'd go to, like, France, or Italy. Which, growing up in a valley, as we did, I understand. It'd be hard. In 1952, Gardner had begun to correspond with a young woman named Doreen Valiente. She eventually requested initiation into the craft. And though Gardner was hesitant at first, he agreed that they could meet during the winter at the home of Edith Woodford Grimes. Valiente got on well with both Gardner and Woodford Grimes, and having no objections to either ritual nudity or scourging, she was initiated by Gardner into Wicca on midsummer 1953. Okay, I know I'm not like a staunch Wiccan, I would like to start remembering stuff better though. Like, how do you plan these things? Like, okay, we're doing this this midsummer. We're gonna do this one this midsummer. Like, boy, I barely remember it's coming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I barely remember my birthday's on the way. Let's be real.
2: (laughs) Valiente went on to join the Brickett Wood Coven. She soon rose to become the High Priestess of the Coven and helped Gardner to revise his Book of Shadows and attempting to cut out most of Crowley's influence. Good on you, Doreen. <laughs> she said, uh, How about. Take that we don't. Part out. <laughs> in 1954, Gardner published a nonfiction book, Witchcraft Today, containing a preface by Margaret Murray, who had published her theory of a surviving witch cult in her 1921 book, The Witch Cult in Western Europe. In his book, Gardner not only espoused the survival of the witch cult, but also his theory that a belief in fairies in Europe was due to a secretive pygmy race that lived alongside other communities and that the Knights Templar had been initiates of the crap. You
0: know, that
2: reminds me of that video. Did you just send me that video of somebody seeing that that pixie or whatever? Yeah. That's what that just made me think of.
1: Last night, yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. (laughs) I would
2: be shocked and scared. (laughs) Alongside this book, Gardner began to increasingly court publicity, going so far as to invite the press to write articles about the religion. Many of these turned out very negatively for the cult. One declared, Witches, devil worship in London! Exclamation mark. And another accused him of whitewashing witchcraft in his luring of people into covens. So you mean people have been saying this from jump? Cool. Gardner continued courting publicity despite the negative articles that many tabloids were producing and believed that only through publicity could more people become interested in witchcraft, so preventing the quote-unquote old religion, as he called it, from dying out. Well, I actually don't disagree. I mean, how else are people going to find out? They do say bad press, good press, it's all good. As long as it gets people's attention. I'm not a Satanist, but sometimes things being formed negatively catch my attention, and then I get curious. And you're just like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) So, I mean, all press is good press. (laughs) Because then you find out it was all not true, and then you're like, oh, okay, this isn't bad at all, actually. (laughs) In May of 1960, Gardner traveled to Buckingham Palace, where he enjoyed a garden dinner in recognition of his years of service to the Empire in the Far East. Soon after his trip, Gardner's wife Donna died and Gardner himself once again began to suffer badly from asthma. Just seemed Well, it just wasn't his year. In 1963, Gardner decided to go to Lebanon over the winter. Whilst returning home on the ship, the Scottish prince... That's the name of the ship. February 12, 1964, he suffered a fatal heart attack at the breakfast table. He was buried in Tunisia the ship's next port of call, and his funeral was attended only by the ship's captain. He was 79 years old. Okay. You know, he always had this, like, perception of people dying really young, but Marie Laveau lived for a long time, and he was 79. So, like, did we? I mean, 79 is not, like, old, 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 but, like, he was 79.
1: Yeah, it's, it's older than some people. <laughs>
2: He lived a life. Yeah. Through no. Through, there's no Just no. <laughs> Though having bequeathed the museum all his artifacts and the copyright to his books in his will to one of his high priestesses, Monique Wilson, she and her husband sold off the artifact collection to the Americans, to the American Ripley's Believe It or Not organizations several years later. Ripleys took the collection to America, where it was displayed in two museums before being sold off during the 1980s. Gardner Oz also left parts of his inheritance to Patricia Crother, Doreen Valiente, Lois Bourne, and Jack Braceland, the latter inheriting the Five Acres Nudist Club and taking over a taking over as full time high priest of the Brickett Wood Covenant several years after his death the Wiccan high priestess Eleanor Bone visited North Africa and went looking for Gardner's grave she discovered that the cemetery he was interred in was to be redeveloped so she raised enough money for his body to be moved to another cemetery in Tunis where it currently remains he only married once to Miss Donna and several who knew him made the claim that he was devoted to her Indeed, after her death in 1960, he began to again suffer serious asthma attacks. Despite this, as many covenant members slept over at his cottage due to living too far away to travel home safely, he was known to cuddle up to his young high priestess, Dayanis, after rituals. I'm not shocked. What can you do? (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's
2: what old men do. I didn't say it was okay. I just said that's what they do. Nice
1: food. there's a difference <laughs> it took me an hour to do that stupid fucking quiz, Jesus <laughs> I've been doing my homework this whole time but yeah <laughs>
2: don't mind me those who knew him within the modern witchcraft movement recalled how he was a firm believer in the therapeutic benefits of sunbathing I too enjoy some sunbathing he also had several tattoos on his body depicting magical symbols such as a snake, dragon, anchor, and dagger. In his later life, he wore a heavy bronze bracelet denoting the three degrees of witchcraft as well as a large silver ring with signs on it which represented the, his witch's name and the letters of the magical Theban, sure, Theban alphabet. So that must have been nice. Nice expensive, probably. According to Bricketwood Coven member Frederick Lamond, Gardner also used to comb his beard into a narrow barbage or barbiche, a goatee. It's a goatee. Gross. (laughs) And his hair into two horn like peaks, giving him a somewhat demonic appearance. That is the picture. That is how it looks on uh, the wiki. So. It just.
1: Whatever he wants. That's your choice That is your fashion Fashion choice For sure
2: You know On the one hand You could You could be like See it is demonic On the other hand It could just be Taking the piss And I can't fault him for that (laughs) He's like Oh they
1: want They want (laughs) Satanists Okay
2: I mean it's like People are already spooked I mean I have Hey my problem (laughs) Spook them some more Spook them Spooky. You're a witch? Yes
1: I sure the fuck am My dude
2: And then don't say anything else Are you <laughs> gonna hex me? I might Who knows <laughs> You gonna Le keep talking thought that like an asshole? was woman? surprisingly lacking in charisma For someone at the forefront of a religious movement Well What can you do? This <laughs> is <laughs> So, Gardner was also a supporter of the right-wing Conservative Party in Britain. The Conservative Party is the party that is uh, in charge right now. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is of the Conservative Party, also known as the Tory party or the Tories. You didn't care, you didn't ask, fun (laughs) fact. Just thought thought you should know. Also, I feel the need to elaborate because if I say Conservative Party, a whole bunch of Americans are going to feel some type of way. But this is in Britain, he is English. I'm not saying it's the same or different. I'm saying it's a different country, though. Yeah. So it's it's, it's English. Also, as I was doing this research, what does it say? I have it right here. It was the part. The Conservative Party was founded in 1834, so it wasn't that old when he was interested.
1: You talking about the Conservative Party though makes me want to read Red, White, and uh, Royal Blue again. You're welcome I just recently listened to it again And it makes me want to Want to go right back Because I love Alex <laughs> And Nora just, just everything about that book so? Not associated with magic though <laughs> no. Completely unrelated
2: Could you imagine if it was though
1: Oh my god the closest thing it has to is the fact that June likes to throw stones into his backpack sometimes, like crystals and shit. all same.
2: I <laughs> want to be that friend, kinda.
1: Same if my brother was that much of a dumbass.
2: Fair. Valiente further yeah, I was reading to make to see what I was gonna say. <laughs> Valiente further criticizes Gardner for his publicity seeking. Or at least his indiscretion. After a series of tabloid exposés, some members of his coven proposed some rules limiting what members of the craft should say to non-members. Mr. Gardner just was out here, saying shit. And everybody else was like, hey maybe, maybe don't, maybe stop, please. There was eventually a split in the coven, with Valiente and some others leaving. But, in general, he is highly regarded as a pagan pioneer.
1: Pagan pioneer.
2: Uh, yeah, because, in general, it's like, we wouldn't have all of these, we wouldn't have a Miss uh, Judica ills writing about spirits and we wouldn't have a Scott Cunningham if Mr. Gardner didn't decide to write books and talk about a religion that was maybe a little bit secret or maybe looked a little bit different and he went hey we should tell people about this (laughs) wow have you guys heard about this (laughs) (laughs) hey wow you want to do magic It's also a fun fact that, as I said, he died in 64. A lot of this happened in the modern period of time. A lot of these people are still alive. I think that's crazy. Not that they're still alive. but But I suppose... You do all this religious research and everything's like ancient, ancient Greece, ancient Egypt. And the things in Wicca are old, but Wicca itself is like, bro, the pioneers are still alive. Like, some of these people are not even dead. Right. That's crazy. It's not that old. It's a little baby.
1: <laughs> some of these peeps still be alive.
2: Or. There are people alive who knew these people. Like, not like... Great, 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 but like, knew these actual people. Right. Even if they aren't alive. And that's crazy. Like, people alive studied under these people. Right. Ah. So he is considered the father of modern-day Wicca, and... I have a list written down of his collaborators and some of the people he worked with because he didn't do it alone. So consider this like history of Wicca part one.
1: (laughs) To be continued.
2: So that's him. If you are a Wiccan, this is very important that you know, I mean, you're going to do studying, do studying. That, to me, can be the sucky part if you want to adopt an ancient pantheon, because how the hell are you supposed to figure out who did what and what was what and whatever? You can't. We don't know anything. We haven't dug up enough stuff. I find myself a cousin of envy. I was going to say envious, but not that degree, but I do find myself a little bit like, it must be nice to be Islamic. You know, from you just you just all the information is just like you don't have to go very far, but for but for some of us, it's like what? How am I supposed to know about these Celtic deities? We don't know anything.
1: <laughs> Nobody ever wrote uh-huh. down anything. Nobody said, yeah, I'll 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 think about this.
2: Like literally, I could only do so much research on Aphrodite. We only know so much. <laughs> <sighs> hmm.
1: That's him.
2: Marie Laveau for Voodoo, and Gerald for Wicca. Now I'm just sitting here thinking of religions. So I'm like, where can I, wear him
1: Who's the next. next one?
2: Hmm. Who's next? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Who's next on the docket?
0: Oh, gosh.
2: <laughs> that's, what I, it's just, that's what I have about the father of Wicca. Cool. So a lot. What do you have? I am going
1: to be talking about kami and yokai today. You know, since I'm in Japan, I decided that it'd be a great time to jump on it. I don't know. <laughs> Personally, I've always been interested in kami and yokai, but
2: right, because we're a pair of weeps.
1: Yeah, I mean they're everywhere. They're everywhere in modern. Um, Media nowadays So But the thing is is They kind of Obviously because a lot of media is for like Children when it includes yokai and kami So Sometimes they get Mixed up I guess is the best way to put it I don't know Anyway That's what I'm talking about (laughs) Kami and yokai
2: Makes Um, me think of yokai watch
1: Right, <laughs>
0: that,
1: that cartoon. <laughs> well, I was while I was reading, um, in the Encyclopedia of Spirits, it talks about how kids used to collect cards that had yokai on them, and they think that was essentially the precursor to like Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Pokemon cards. Oh, right. Interesting. Fun fact. So, this is going to be in terms of Shintoism since it's Japan. That's what's here. Oh. There are yokai for other uh, countries. I saw that there were yokai um, that, like, yokai from India, and there's also different types of yokai for South Korea, but specifically, we're talking about Shintoism in Japan. So according to the Encyclopedia of Spirits by Judika Isles, kami refers to the indigenous spirits of Japan that make up the basis of the Shinto religion. There are an infinite number of kami. Kami animate everything in the universe, including objects, things, places, cities, etc. If you can see it, it's it's probably got a kami attached to it. So essentially, everything in the universe is sacred. Um, Ancestral kami are venerated at household shrines, and passed on loved ones may become kami in death. Shinto, the word Shinto, translates to Way of the Spirits, and has been recorded as far back as 300 BCE and 300 CE, to 300 CE. Kami, literally translated, means god or deity, a spirit that is to be worshipped. But I've read a couple times that Shinto- Shintoism, like Buddhism, doesn't actually have like gods or deities in the same sense that we in as a Western society think of them. Kami are more like spirits that bring good fortune. That's why they're venerated, that's why they're worshipped. Essentially because you want something from them. (laughs) So Kami fall into two categories. Those categories are Earthly Kami, which are the Kunitsukami, and Celestial Kami, which are the Amatsukami. There are only six Kami with the title of Okami, which are Great Kami. How many times can I say that word? Um, there are five celestial ones, which are
0: Amaterasu,
1: Izanagi, Izanami, uh, Michi Kaisi, Michi kaeshi, and Sashikuni. Yeah, Sashikuni, and then one earthly kami, which is Sarutanhiko. So five celestial and one earthly make up the Okami. Kami are petitioned for things concerning health, fertility, success, prosperity, academic achievement, abundance, and uh, protection. I already said prosperity, uh, protection. So some Kami are Amaterasu, which is the goddess of the sun, Ibisu, which is God of fortune But he is only One of seven gods of fortune Fujin Which is the god Of wind Hachiman which is the god of war This is This is the one that made me think about That uh, That meeting room with all the gods of war I was just saying there I was like Do you think they get along with him? Do you think they get along with each other at all? At first I was like, no, it's probably a bloodbath. And I was like, but what if it wasn't? What if it really was just like a corporate meeting? They all get together. They all go over figures. (laughs) They have PowerPoints and slideshows. And like, this worked for me this year. But, you know, this didn't work for me this year.
2: It's like the, it makes me think of how uh, Aries is the basically, like, the god of massacring and slaughter, where Athena is the god of strategic war, so you know she's the one who brought, like, a powerpoint.
1: (laughs) Right, she's got it all figured out, it's all nice, and he's got, like, crayon on some paper.
2: No, literally. No (laughs) tie-on, shirt, like, unbuttoned. Fucking rakish as fuck. (laughs) She's the one who looks all put together in her nice, like, woman power suit. Yeah, she's got, like, a nice
1: pantsuit.
2: Yeah, she's like a PowerPoint and she made sh- she organized it. She has printouts for everybody? <laughs> she put placards for where everyone used to sit.
1: Yeah. Especially when she's hosting it.
2: No, dude. I just said I wanted to do a nano for spirits. Do not give me ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine it. It would be so good, though. Well, because, you know what the thing is, though? Not to stop on your topic, but I was telling my dad, I was like, you know, in a weird way, that is how I see spirits, like, not really, like, I kind of see them, like, together and separate, because I do see them in their separate pantheons, but, like, they all live on the world together, so they would know, wouldn't they know each other, or, like, like, I kind of think of it as, like, your spiritual allies, and it could be a mix, or, like, I don't know, I kind of see it as a weird sort of conglomerate type thing.
1: Right, they would at least be aware of each other.
2: Well, I assume. Like, i that's what I assume. I assume so. That's what makes sense in my brain.
1: Right.
2: And I, and I was saying, or kind of like how spirits can, like, even be one, but have multiple names across multiple cultures and such. And I was like, it's all, like, fluid.
0: Right.
1: It can mean whatever you want it to, to be
2: honest. <laughs> my dad's over there just nodding his head, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'm just like, yeah, I'm a crazy person, I know, it's okay <laughs> Just <laughs> But in a weird sort of way, that is kind of how I see it Like, I don't know, do they do that? Could you imagine all the love goddesses getting together? It would look like a, you know, those movies where women would be like Getting their nails done and stuff and gossiping that's,
1: that's what I just thought I thought it would be like a salon Yeah Like Hera would have like a tea party kind of situation going on And Aphrodite's would be like a sleepover <laughs>
2: I feel like what, all the Earth Mothers are having, like, a picnic.
1: Yeah. They, they, they go out for breath. a nice walk to talk about how things are going.
2: All of the, goddess, all of the gods that are, like, Dionysus, that are, like, alcohol-based and, like, whatever, they just throw a rave.
1: They show up at a bar together.
2: No, literally. What if this happened, like, once a year, every type of god got together with each other's type? Like, it happens, like, once every yeah. year. It has to They all Every pantheon splits up And meets with each other
1: They like argue about What day they meet up Every year But like They always meet up on the first That's so just What you do It's a new year You meet up on the first That's it Or the 31st Because you're ending the year
2: Could you imagine All the, go- all the gods of death Are getting together Like people who rule Like underworlds, so And it's just dark In that room <laughs> Somebody's like Why is it Where are the lights Turn the light on
1: Oh, all they, all they see are glowing eyeballs and they're like, what the fuck is
2: what what the fuck? They all brought their dog. Oh my god. Cerberus is the biggest.
1: Yeah.
2: he's Cerberus just, doesn't even fit in the room.
1: Cerberus is literally like <laughs> a cute pipple. And nobody nobody can tell me otherwise. But no, seriously, what if we think Cerberus is as big ass dog?
2: And that's what the other Death deities are expecting, and then Hades and Persephone walk in, and it's literally a chihuahua. (laughs) Well, so I was watching... My mom sent me this
1: video, right? uh, This TikTok. And this lady, she was like... I don't know what she was doing. She was doing a skit, essentially. And uh, she was like, Everybody always thinks that Cerberus is this big pitbull, but you can't do that. Pitbulls are just way too sweet. No, no, Cerberus is... He's a giant three-headed chihuahua.
2: And I was like, oh my god. No, literally. It's gotta be that. It's
1: like a chihuahua the size of a Great Dane. Oh god. Oh god. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. That'd be so good though. It would. But like, you know there's like this one outlier god. And what does he do? Like, he's just chilling off to the side, like, on the side of the pool by himself. He's like, whatever.
2: Miss I'll miss tell my myself what I did this year. <laughs> all the gods that don't belong anywhere specific all get together and have their own party.
1: It's a pity party. Yeah. Like, they have little noisemakers, and every time somebody walks in, they just blow They just blow one. <laughs> Jesus. I've got ideas now. Anyway. (laughs) I know. Next we have Inari, which is the god of rice and agriculture, and is often thought to be a fox because they don't have any images of Inari, but anytime, like, all around Inari's shrines, wherever there is an Inari shrine, it's just inundated with fox statues. So that's why they think Inari is a fox god. Um, Izanagi and Izanami, which are the first man and the first woman. Tsukuyomi, which is the god of the moon, and Susanoo Susano no Mikoto. Susanoo no Mikoto. That's a lot. Um, which is the god of sea and storms. So before I go on to yokai, I want to talk about the word mononoke because I was informed mononoke is not just a word and then I read up on it So mononoke can be used to refer to any type of spirit um, but it's more for a spirit that possesses things So it can inhabit inanimate objects and they live near shrines, temples, and cemeteries And they have prankster inclinations These types of spirits can be exercised Which in my head means there's types of spirits that cannot be exercised (laughs) But those weren't specified This one was So, yokai Uh, Yokai can literally be translated as strange or mysterious spirit it's an umbrella word for all the spirits of Japan, with the exclusion of the Kami So, Yokai can also be translated as demon, ghost, or monster And they can either be benevolent, or they can be cruel So they have... there's not like one or the other, there's so many different types of spirits that they're not, not all just cruel spirits and not, they're not all like cool spirits So these spirits have no hierarchy or pantheon and encompass spirits such as fox spirits, kappa, oni, and tengu, as well as hone-ona and yuki-ona. Some can be nice and others cruel, like I already said. Uh, While doing research, I read that yokai are... What is this? What is this word? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was only mentioned once, but I thought it was interesting. It said that yokai are kami that have not been cleansed, which is why that they're kami. Or not kami, why they're yokai, which is considered a, like, evil spirit, but it's not really, you get it. But apparently they're yokai because they haven't been cleansed. Um, While kami bring about good fortune, yokai tend to bring about bad fortune. And there's also a specific study of yokai, and that is called yokai gaku, which is essentially uh, yokaiology. So, <laughs> so some types of yokai include sukomogami. Which, uh, these are ordinary household objects and appliances that have been animated on their 100th birthday So generally they're benevolent and pleasant unless mistreated And then they'll... If they're like thrown out or broken It says that they'll, uh, hunt you down And, and come to take their revenge Casalbake is a possessed umbrella Sagari is a hanging horse head. I was not happy to read that <laughs> Hone Ona is a bone woman Baku is a nightmare devourer uh, Yuki Ona is a snow woman Kitsune is a fox spirit. So this is where the nine-tailed fox spirit comes from um, But those are the most ancient and the most rare kinds of fox spirits. So for each tail that a fox has, it marks a 100 years that that spirit has been alive, with nine being the maximum amount of tails that it can grow. So once it reaches nine tails, it's 900 years old, but obviously it can grow older than that. You just won't know. (laughs) At 900 years, it also gains special abilities like being able to shapeshift into a human. It's said that you can tell if someone is a Kitsune by looking at their shadow. Um, Of course, we have Tanuki, which is one we're all familiar with. It's the humanoid raccoon dogs with the giant testicles. So, yep. You have oni which are ogre-like creatures which the cla- yeah, which is the classic demon, the classic Japanese demon. Why can't I talk? What the fuck happened? <laughs> then then you have tengu which is wise red long-nosed demons. And this last one which I was also very unhappy to learn about but I have to tell somebody else too Is the uh, Shirame Which is called the buttocks eye And this is because this yokai Has an eye In place of its anus I was not happy to read about it I was not happy to see a picture about it And I don't want no, to oh, know There's a picture There was a picture I don't want to know What's that person or spirit did to end up like that. Just thoughts. I don't want to know. No, no, no. No. <laughs> no, no, no. So, just like the kami can display bad behavior, the yokai can also show good behavior. And just like with any other cultures, deities, or spirits, um, those two sentences were supposed to go together <laughs> Just like with any other cultures, deities, or spirits the, uh, the yokai can show good behavior, the kami can show bad behavior Greeks are the easiest and quickest way to explain that <laughs> As we all know what the different gods have done to each other and to mortals on top of that, while Kami are most often worshipped in shrines, not all shrines were built for the Kami. Some were built to worship the Yokai to keep them from disturbing human life. So yeah, they're kind of like uh, two sides of a coin. And I find that interesting. But that's what I have. I didn't write down too much because I kind of want to eventually go in more in depth. On some of the kami and some of the uh, yokai So That's what I have for now What kind of media did you bring?
2: Well I really struggled (laughs) Cause I was like what the fuck kind of media I bring you another comic book Okay This is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh. It was made into a very bad movie that I like to watch. (laughs) It's bad.
1: One of those movies that's just garbage, but you still like to watch it no matter what?
2: Well, it's the same way that I told you that Constantine's not very good, but you like that movie. Yeah. It's like, this movie is not good, but I like this movie.
1: To be fair, I haven't watched it in a long time. My tune might have changed, but it does have Keanu Reeves in it, it, and I love Keanu Reeves, so...
2: I know, it's Keanu Reeves. You just can't go wrong with Keanu. Exactly. Anyway, Keanu Reeves is not in this movie. (laughs) And I'm not talking about the movie, because that's garbage. (laughs) It's also inaccurate, so, honestly... Well, it's not completely inaccurate, but... That's part of the reason why it's bad. So, if you didn't know, because if you only knew about the movie, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a comic book series written by Alan Moore in the same way that V for Vendetta is not a great movie, and it's not entirely accurate to the comic. I don't know why they just keep shitting on Alan Moore like this. He keeps saying, hey, can you stop making my stuff into movies?
1: And they keep doing it.
2: And they keep saying, no. Where's keep going? Could you
1: stop? No. (laughs) That's a completely unreasonable uh, (laughs) request. Couldn't remember the word.
2: He keeps telling them to just don't put his name on it. He doesn't (laughs) want his name on the movies. And yet they keep saying... Well, they've at least done that part. (laughs) He doesn't have, like, his name or anything to do with the movies. I'm just like, well, that's fine. So, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a series. I say series because there's multiples. And then there were, what's it called? And then there were others. Like, you know, when you take a character and you give them their own comic? Like
0: that.
1: So, side stories?
2: Yeah. Spin offs. Ah, that's the word. Spin offs. (laughs) So, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, described by Alamore himself, is the Justice League of Victorian England. He took a lot of the stories from Victorian England, such as. Jekyll and Hyde, The Invisible Man, Dracula, um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is French, not English, but whatever. And he took all of these stories that are like well-known in Victorian times, took all the people out of them, and made a comic book series. About them, seen I, I think that is a fairly accurate description. Just as they can in England, that is exactly what they do. They are more fucked up, but that is the point. <laughs> so I could describe to you the general plot, at least for the beginning. What happened was, see, what had happened was, um, Miss Wilhelmina Harker from. Dracula, is now called Mina Murray. 1898. She's recruited by Campion Bond Mm -hmm. on behalf of the British intelligence in order to make a league of extraordinary individuals to protect the interests of the empire, which she does. So she gets together Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues, Alan Quartermain from the Solomon book, Dr. Jekyll from, you know, and uh, the invisible man was called Holly Griffin. I actually think in the book his name is just Griffin. Mm. So, whatever. Yeah, what else? <laughs> she gets together this league just like they asked her to do, They help stop a gang war between Fu Manchu, another created person in a book, and Professor Moriarty. If you know anything about Sherlock Holmes, you know who that is. Following that, they take place in events from H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds book. They also do a big thing that happens in the... Big Brother Government of 1984 Which is my personal favorite book Or one of my personal favorite books I'm not ever going to reread it But I like it And then they have spinoffs and then they do a whole bunch of shit And then it just gets weird So (laughs) I like it Because Because first of all You and I read a lot We have established this on the pod (laughs) (laughs) Yeah You took all these characters from books And put them in a comic book And I ate that shit up As you should I said thank you Um The book is a bit graphic There is a very Very famous rape scene in it That is a. We'll talk about that Uh, That is your warning (laughs) And I just told you there's a rape scene So you know what else is in there these aren't great people. Like, it's one of those situations. He just said to Justice League. I will say, though, at least the Justice League are heroes. <laughs> These people are um not. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they save the day and shit, but, like, uh, in the movie, I know, I think the antagonist in the movie was um Dorian Gray. They had to do all the shit with the picture and the his aging and the whatever. And if you know anything about Dwayne Gray, that's what that was about. I don't actually remember if he is in, uh, ever in the comic. There's a part of me that wants to say no. But then again, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> so, maybe? I don't fucking know. But that's what was in the movie. That was the villain in that. You know, I think picture of Dorian Grey and they had to do with <laughs> whatever. It's very also, it's also very steampunk and the movie was also very steampunk. So if you enjoy some steampunk, because if you're gonna do stuff with Captain Nemo in Twenty Thousand Leagues and do stuff like that, you have to have steampunk. That's what that book's about. That's not what it's about. But Jules Verne did that's what he is known for. He loved to do automatons and shit like that. Just, just, I don't mind. And they they wear dapper suits and it's just Victorian. They drink and eat a lot. Oh my god! <laughs> and Doctor Jekyll is a lot. So the Invisible Man's not that great. I just said none of them are great But he really ain't great Yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah He might be
1: One of the worst ones
2: He's sketch ass (laughs) Oh wow Oh I just thought I was just looking at the wiki I was like oh Who is you Oh that's cool As I'm looking at the wiki, anytime you gloss over a character, it is going to tell you about the book, not about the comic, which is, I, I appreciate Oh I'm like, oh. So, it's set in, like I just said, 1898, but also, it's very interesting to just see, I don't know. The, like, as I just said, it's Victorian, but rather it's interesting to think the books are Victorian. It's only later in the series that you get a lot more books that are not. Like, 1984 is not Victorian. It was published in 48. That's how I remember that. It's the other way around. So it's not Victorian. It's World War II. And the book is set in 84. Duh. <laughs> so, but I think, like, the initial concept of all these characters that are, like, from these, well, at the time this is being made, which it was began in 99, so old books, it's just like, huh, it's published by DC Comics, meaning it's not hard to find. Uh, not to necessarily say that it's being ran, but I have seen it at Barnes and Noble. Like, you know how they make like volumes? I've seen them. It's what happens when you have like an old comic, they kind of squish it all together. So you don't have to hunt it down. It's very nice. Very nice of some comic book uh, companies to do.
1: Much appreciated.
2: Also, if you want to just look, you could probably find it on Amazon. So it's not, like, hidden. It's easy to find. And it's adult, as I said. So be careful with that. Although the books themselves, if you have read these books, you are not a child. Because they're thick and florid. As a Victorian book would be. suck. So, <laughs> if you read the books or the stories, I think you can stomach the comic because you were probably not a child.
1: Probably not. Also, I just realized that that book is just basically fan fiction.
2: It yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's it's. Alan Moore woke up one day and said, "You know." I'm British <laughs> And I want to do
1: I'm British
2: <laughs> He is oh. I know I've also said I feel particular about Alan Moore But I mean He is a fellow Witch So I'll let him slide i warmed up on. to him i warmed up to him He is a little bit strange But it's fine <laughs> Although, uh, oh, this is good I will say, yeah, there are a lot of In-jokes and cameos of many works Of Victorian fiction, which if you don't read books shoo, They're gonna go right over your head, so uh, Be careful <laughs> But I enjoy, it. the movie's fine You can watch that, it's not the same But As it never t- is Really, it never is uh, But Victorian Books Fan fiction. He literally went, DC, can I do this? And DC said, yeah. Why not? <laughs> Although, you taught, you know what, us talking about spirit stories and then us talking about that, I did have a thing of like, who hasn't, everybody has just published their own fan fiction. But it's just not fan fiction. Because anytime we're talking about spirits, I do think of Percy Jackson. I'm like, dead ass, that's fan fiction. Greek fanfiction.
1: It's Greek fanfiction. That's all Rick Reardon writes is mythology (laughs) fanfiction.
2: Like literally, like that's all we do. That's all writing
0: is.
2: (laughs) Is making fanfiction over shit you're interested in and calling it not. (laughs) What is your media?
1: Okay. (laughs) All right. Buckle up. Okay, so. <laughs> oh god. I know we've talked about it before, we've mentioned it at least, but I'm going to be talking about Princess Mononoke, which is the whole reason I mentioned the word Mononoke. Because. Yes. Essentially. Now it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, essentially the title translates into Princess of Spirits. And it makes more
2: sense. It makes way more sense. Like I always knew Like I bet the Japanese audience Like obviously were like Oh yeah okay And we're over here in the west just like Not knowing
1: Yeah (laughs) just confused And now
2: everything makes so much more sense
1: And Like I, I always knew That the The title was talking about The wolf girl which, I don't, does she have a name? I don't remember. I'm sure she does. I don't remember it. We'll find out here in a couple minutes. For somebody who's watched this movie over and over and over again, the only name I remember is Ashitaka. So... Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so, Princess Mononoke is, uh, wow. Wait, I already knew that. I remember looking at it earlier today. So uh, Princess Mononoke was released in 1997. It's a Japanese epic fantasy film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki, as it should be, and animated by Studio Ghibli. (laughs) The film stars the voices of Yoji Matsuda, Yuriko Ishida, Yuko Tanaka, Tauru Kobayashi Masha, ma, Masahiko Nish, Nishimura Kami Kamijiro Nope, Kamijo Sorry, my computer's still as far away as it was the last time Akihiro Miwa, Mitsuko Mori, and Hisaya Morishige, Morishige. So, Princess Mononoke is set in the late Muromachi period of Japan, approximately 1336 to 1573 CE, which makes way more sense also. But it includes fantasy elements. The story follows a young Amishi prince named Ashitaka and his involvement in a struggle between the gods of a forest and the humans who consume its resources. Yeah, here, the term mononoke is not a name, but a Japanese word for supernatural shape-shifting beings that possess people and cause suffering, disease, or death. So, obviously that's not completely correct, it is the wiki, so, you know, people can change this as they want. So, Prince like, Mononoke is basically just talking about spirits. It's basically what the word means. So, Princess Mononoke means Princess of the Spirits. Alright, so the film was actually released in the United States in October of 1999. It was a critical and commercial blockbuster, becoming the highest-grossing film in Japan of 1997, and also held Japan's box office record for uh, domestic films until 2001's Spirited Away, another Miyazaki film. (laughs) It was dubbed into English with a script by Neil Gaiman. Man, this man is not leaving us alone recently. (laughs)
2: That rotten motherfucker, every time I turn around. There he is. And initially did Neil Gaiman is, my, is the mermaid of my dreams. <laughs> He's the spirit trying to contact me.
1: <laughs> He's like, read my read my works.
2: Read my shit. Read I him. did, Neil. <laughs>
1: read him again. Do it it's- again. So, I'm gonna go a little bit into the plot, I'm not gonna read the whole thing just like I didn't with, um... Whatever I read last time? I don't remember. Inception. Yeah, 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 that. <laughs> Listen, this whole day is just gonna be a blur. I'm not even gonna know what happened.
2: <laughs>
1: so, the plot for Princess Mononoke, in the Muromachi, Japan, an Amishi village is attacked by a demon. The last Imishi prince, Ashitaka, kills it before it reaches the village, but its corruption curses his right arm. The curse gives him superhuman strength, but will eventually spread through his body and kill him. The villagers discover that the demon was a boar god, Nago, corrupted by an iron ball lodged in his body. The village's wise woman tells Ashitaka that he may find a cure in the western lands Nago comes from, but he cannot return to his homeland. Heading west, Ashitaka meets Jikobo, an opportunistic posing as a monk. I've never seen opportunistic used as a noun, but there we go. So an opportunistic. I know. Would it be
2: opportunist?
1: Right. Oh, that's probably exactly what it is. And I'm just I just can't read from this far away. An opportunist posing as a monk. You right <laughs> who tells Ashi who tells Ashitaka he may find help from the great forest spirit a deer like animal god by day and I, and a giant dai dai bachi anyways a giant walking spirit thing by night
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and we literally mean giant like it he sure is that. Yeah, it's a normal, normal, normal air quotes, deer. <laughs> this deer has a human face, okay? It's not normal. Anyway, <laughs> by day, and What's then. What's the with these animals with people faces? I don't know. <laughs> and then at night, it turns into a person-shaped thing and towers over the treetops. So literally a giant. Yeah. Spooky as fuck. Spooky. Oh, that's what her fucking name the- is. <laughs> Anyways, nearby, m- nearby men herd oxen to the town of Tataraba, which is Iron Town, uh, led by Lady Iboshi, and repel an attack by a wolf pack led by the wolf goddess Moro. Riding one of the wolves is San, a human girl. In Iron Town, Ashitaka learns that Eboshi built the town by clear-cutting forests to claim iron sand and produce iron, leading to conflicts with the forest gods and Asano, a local daimo, daimyo. What is daimyo? Uh, they were feudal lords. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Makes more sense. So, Iron Town is a refuge for social outcasts, including lepers, employed to manufacture firearms It was one of these guns that wounded Nago Eboshi explains that San was raised by the wolves And resents humankind San infiltrates Iron Town To try and kill Eboshi And then Ashitaka stops her And so on and so forth That's how he meets her That's how the whole love interest blooms And I love it so much Because she's fucking badass <laughs> yeah. And... Then the the emperor, like uh, the opportunist that they talked about in the beginning, goes to Irontown and. What's it called? Like, petitions Eboshi to use her guns to help him kill the forest spirit because the emperor wants to live forever. And he thinks that by taking the head of the forest spirit will be the way to make him live forever. Because apparently the, spirit, the forest spirit's head grants immortality. Because that's how that works. Point being is Ashitaka finds out about this, like gets wind of it, and is like, no, you can't fucking do that. You're going to fuck everything up. You've already fucked everything up. And of course they don't listen to him Because they're like oh he's just you know Some dumb Indigenous Ignore him And they go right along their way And instead of being like When they Spoiler alert not spoiler alert because we all know How movies work they do cut off The four spirits head They manage that And instead of being A spirit A life giving spirit he becomes the god of death Because, you know, that's the same It's the same coin You have the You have the spirit of life It's
2: as is a healer But also releases plagues
1: Exactly So, the, the forest spirit Becomes uh, the death god And then starts just killing Fucking everything And Ashitaka has to go Ashitaka employs Son and they have to go fucking save the world because somebody was greedy and wanted to live forever. And the other person oh. wanted to get paid his, like, weight in gold or something. And that's Princess Mononoke. It's, honestly, <laughs> I was gonna say, honestly, it's a really good movie. No, you already know it's a really good movie. Honestly, it's super spook at times. So... <laughs> Yeah, it is. If you get easily creeped out by like gods and um, not kind of human relation
2: <laughs> just don't watch I would it at say night. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like I think we get so used to spirits looking a certain. Okay, not to say we get so used to spirits looking cute, but I think people cannot handle spirits looking the way they should. Right. Case in point, I just, when we talked about psychopromps, I told you what Azrael looked like because angels in paintings look a certain way, but the Old Testament says angels look a different way. <laughs> and, uh, uh, quite a different way. <laughs> sometimes when you tell people that, they don't want to hear it. And it's like, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry to ruin your hopes and dreams. I
2: know you don't. I mean, fair. Well, they're still spirits and they can manifest however they want. I'm sorry that you don't want them to look spooky, but maybe they're spooky. Like? I like them spooky. No, no. Okay, don't. Oh. <laughs> want spooky dreams, please. Hermes said, oh. He says she wants spooky? I got spooky. No, that's Hecate. Hecate's like, you like spooky. No, no. I, I don't want nightmares. Can I do.
1: Let me preface
2: (laughs) Sometimes spirits are spooky That's okay Yeah
1: And they often are in Hayao Miyazaki movies Like I think we've talked about Spirited Away already Or maybe we haven't I don't remember Oh my god I think we did But Spirited Away is one of those movies Like Some of the spirits are cute Like little Soot Sprites and stuff like that Some of them are cute Some of them are not so cute Like the dragon that she helps The first
2: time Yeah
1: Man Animals with human faces Not a fan
2: This isn't necessarily spooky But a little bit But it always reminds me of Like Hal's moving castle When Hal is so hot And then he becomes a black bird person You're just like No Hal, no (laughs) No no
1: <laughs> the stress. That's the bird person. That's what she's gonna look like.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't mind if you look like Hal. I mean Like Lady Hal.
1: I mean bird um, person Hal. Never, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I mean if anybody looked like Hal, I'll, I'll come out. I'm, I'm not opposed to Hal. I am not opposed. Neither was Sophie. Neither was Sophie. He's a snack. I don't know what you want.
2: Until he's thrown a tantrum about his hair color.
1: Yeah, and then it's just hilarious.
2: And then I want to push him down the stairs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sophie just wished she could have pushed him in the fire. (laughs) Fair. He was sitting close enough. Who knows? Fair. (laughs) But yeah. That's what I have That's good shit
2: Yeah, I like Princess Mononoke It is spooky though It's one of those movies where it's like I don't always want to watch it at night
1: No, deadass Like, there will be times when I'll just not pay attention To the opening scene Like, to the very beginning when it's doing the um, You know, the deep voice They do the prologue and stuff like that in ancient times. I can probably yeah. go word for word. But sometimes I'll just ignore that because that's almost the creepiest part to me is just the deep voice and then it switches to Ashitaka being chased by this boar person. So sometimes I'll just ignore that if I'm watching it alone at night and then I'll come back to it.
2: Mm-mm. You know what this you know what that spirit remind the for spirit reminds me of? What? The fucking dude from over the garden wall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They are the same thing to me. I think we've talked about that before, too. Why the fuck is he so terrifying? Uh,
1: Bro. Bro, I don't know. It is super creepy,
2: though. I need cartoons to stop with that. (laughs) I need cartoons to stop with the really scary
1: iconography I would. Yeah, like <sighs> I mean, I even hate like Bill from fucking Gravity Falls. And he's not he's not creepy. He's he reminds me of Excalibur, but still he is
2: creepy. Dead ass. He reminds me of Excalibur too. He He's so glad you said that. He makes me want to punch him. <laughs> I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of
1: Excalibur so much and I hate Excalibur. Oh. I fucking can't Don't start that again <laughs> Fool <laughs> <laughs> Jesus But yeah Oh did, I haven't watched the second season of Hilda But there's something in Hilda too That reminds me of the forest spirit a little bit And I can't remember what it is <sighs> It's been so long since I we like watched Hilda. it I know It's such a cute kids show Oh Kids shows, man. These
2: uh-huh. cartoons. They're getting. You remember the? You remember the? Well, not the end, but the last really time we watched Star versus the versus the Evil together, and that dude melted. Oh my! What the fuck God. is wrong with cartoons? <laughs> what was his <laughs> name?
1: <laughs> and oh, remember. Toffee. Was it Toffee? I think so. It it was a sweet. I think it was toffee. But either way, yeah, Yeah, we were just we were just watching it, and then he started to melt, and we were like, "What the fuck is going on?" We had been up for like twenty four hours.
2: It's like, what is this nightmare fuel?
1: No, literally dead ass nightmare fuel. Why are you doing this to children?
2: I'm not a child. Why am I? Why am I? Why are you doing this to me?
1: (laughs) <laughs> uh, I still haven't finished watching Star either, and I want to. I haven't either. But I just haven't yet.
2: I've seen some stuff. Yeah. You know, I'll see something every once in a while, and I'll be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Nobody tell me. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to hear more from us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at mixed witches podcast. And you can shoot
1: us an email, MixedWitchesPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Society6, which is also at MixedWitchesPodcast. Or you can head over to our website, which is MixedWitchesPodcast.Squarespace.com. And you can find all of our episodes there, as well as some blog posts. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed the, the history lesson. Hope you guys enjoyed... The uh, bit about Japanese spirits, Sato is a fun ride. Mm. Hope you guys go check out our media. I did. <laughs> so those are always fun. Yeah. Yes. Hope you guys had a good time, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
3: Bye all that they created. with chasing after that witch's brew. Damn, 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 damn. Thinking more, but doing less. Keeping score, but failing at the test, y'all. Chasing after that witch's brew. Damn, 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 damn. Chasing after that witch's brew. you got nothing better Cause you're sailing down the easiest street again Damn! X marks the spot, or is it all? Getting hiding, feeling so low Chasing after that witch's brew Damn, 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 damn Chasing after that witch's brew